You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Now, we'll get started here today. So glad that you're here, that you're with us on this cold day. Um, Really thankful that we can gather here again. If you're new, I'm Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in a new series, and it's called Gender for the Glory of God. And so last week, we kind of laid the foundation If you weren't able to be with us last week, I'd encourage you to go back to the podcast and listen to that or just listen to it online. Um, This series is going to build on itself. And so I'd really encourage you, if you miss on a Sunday, to check out the the podcast or just on on our website. And that will help you understand how we're getting to where we're going and how it all fits together. So we're trying to do this real intentionally with what the Bible says about gender. All right? So um, I want to acknowledge today right off the bat that what we're talking about, it's very countercultural. It's very countercultural. As I was preparing this week, I just various moments where I'm sitting there reading and writing, and I'm just thinking, wow, this is just so against the grain of where our culture is right now. And in one sense, it it can cause us to be fearful. Um, But in a more positive sense, I think it's really good for us to have an opportunity to stop and go, okay, what voice am I going to listen to? What voice am I going to listen to? Who gets to define my worldview? Whose voice am I going to listen to? Is it going to be the cultural voices all around me that over the course of time in history tend to change quite a bit? I don't know if you've been noticing. Uh, cultural voices change all the time. Or is it going to be something more immutable, something more unchanging, more solid, more grounded, more maybe more proven? So today we're just going to stop and, and, and it's not going to be super complex, but it's, again, it's kind of step two in the foundation that we built on last week. Where does gender actually come from in the first place? So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Um, if you don't, there's some in the back or you, you can see it on the screen. You can fire it up on your smartphone if you have one. We're going to be Genesis chapter one, starting in verse 26. Genesis one, starting in Verse 26. And let me read God's word for us today. Genesis 1, 26. That God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this is so foundational. What you see in this opening page of your Bible is so foundational. And it boils down to this repeated word that you'll see in verses 26 and 27. Just as a side note, anytime you see a repeated word in, in, in two or three verses, that's almost always a clue to what is this passage really about. The biblical author is repeating a word for the sake of emphasis. And so it's just a kind of a baseline foundational principle of how to interpret your Bible well. And so when you look for a repeated word in verses 26 and 27, what do you see? You see this repeated word, image. Image. See, we have a a, a crisis of identity in our culture. We have a crisis of identity in our culture. Human beings, we don't know who we are or why we are. We struggle to know who we are and why we are. Like, who can tell you who you are? How do you know? Based on what authority can somebody tell you who you are? How can you have any confidence in knowing, like, essentially, who are you? How can you be secure in knowing who you are? See, the the secular worldview says, ultimately, if you're really thinking about it, It's kind of a big downer. You're just a cosmic accident. You have no purpose. You have no intention. You just happen to exist. And then at some point, you're going to happen to not exist. And some of this can get really philosophical. And a lot of us don't live in that space. And and that's fine. We don't sit around and ponder these questions. And that's fine. But maybe simply a, a way to put it might be, why do you exist and do you have any value? Why do you exist and do you have any value as a human being? Like, how are you going to answer those questions? For all of human history, people have been having what's called an existential crisis. Meaning the crisis of my existence. Why do I exist? And what is it for? Do I have any value? Like, these are tough questions, right? But what I want you to see this morning... Right out of the gate, on page number one of your Bible, God speaks to people and says, you want to know how to answer those questions? I'm going to give you a great answer. What does it mean that I'm a human being? Who am I? What does it mean that I find myself in this physical body that I have with this mind and these thoughts that I think? How do I know this physical body has value, that my mind has value? Well, answer number one from page one of the Bible is this, and the implications are huge, and many books have been written that sit on my shelf. Human beings are made in the image of God. No other part of creation bears that title, bears that stamp of divine divine reflection. Only mankind, only human beings. Now, don't get me wrong. I look outside the window right now and there's, there's beautiful snow just like flying around. Like that's beautiful. Fresh sm- fallen snow on the trees and as it lays on the earth, that's a beautiful thing. 
Like you can go to the ocean and, man, just be struck with the grandeur and the profundity of these huge bodies of water. It's intimidating. You can go on a mountaintop and just look at what God has made and it just takes your breath away. Right? A beautiful sunset can, can bring tears to your eyes. I mean, God's creation is marvelous. Turn on Planet Earth on Netflix. And if you've got a HD TV, it's even better. I mean, right? It's like, who doesn't have HD TV anymore? But, like, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Look at what God has made in these animals. I mean, my word. So cool. But here's what God has said. None of these things, mountains and sunsets and, and beautiful animals on, a, on the African plain or wherever, none of that bears the image of God. None is like God, like humans are like God. We know this because humans are the only part of creation that God says bears his own image. Now, here's the question. How do we make sense of this language of image bearing? Right? So that, that can seem a little like, uh, I don't know what that means. That's kind of nondescript. Like, what does that have to do with me in my life? Well, it's kind of like this. If you were reading your Bible as an ancient reader, most people would know what it means to be an image bearer or how an image would function in a culture. So in the ancient world, what a king or a ruler would do is he would place his image all over the place. So maybe he would erect a statue of himself and put it all over the place. Oftentimes there's an image on money, and that's a way of disseminating a rule and a reign. So in modern days, I see this all the time. I get the privilege of, of traveling to Morocco quite a bit to engage with some of our partners over there. And every time I go to Morocco, I'm always struck with this. Because you go into any business, and you'll find, by law, they are, they are uh, forced or obliged to put a picture of the king on the wall somewhere. So every business you walk into, you'll see an image, a picture, same thing, on the wall at that business. It's this picture. Why? Why do they do that? Why would an ancient king put his statue all over the place wherever he rules and reigns? Why, why do we see an image of the king on money? Well, it functions as a reminder. It functions as a reminder. Well, a reminder of what? Well, the implication is we need to be reminded, if you're a citizen of Morocco, that the king of Morocco rules and reigns in Morocco. And this business is part of his rule and reign. And so it's a demonstration of acknowledgement of that. It's an acknowledgement that this business owner understands that. The king is worthy of respect and admiration and acknowledgement. And that's an illustration of a deeper understanding for us of what it means to be humans made in the image of God. Like, we don't look to someone's wall to see the image of God. We are the image of God. I carry and you carry 
that picture of God in our very being. It's like we are a walking billboard. We're a walking picture. We don't look to a statue that an ancient king has erected for himself. We are the statues, living statues that point to the rule and reign of God in the universe. That's what Genesis 1 is saying when it says you have been made in the image of God. That's the point here. So human beings, male and female, exist. Remember where we started? Why do you exist? What are you for? Genesis 1 tells us. We exist to display in our very being, in our very essence, in our very presence, existence that God is great and he is the king and he rules and reigns and he's glorious and he's worthy to be worshiped. The king is worthy of our respect and admiration and acknowledgement. We, in our very essence, function like that image of the king that hangs in every office of every Moroccan business. Be reminded, the king of Morocco rules and reigns here. So when we see one another, we don't just see one another. You don't think of anybody as just like, oh, there's another human being. Whatever. Like that's a, that's a carnal, fleshly mindset. The biblical mindset is I see you and I see God. I see you. Now don't, that's, that sounds a little funny. I see you and I'm reminded of who God is. Right? We see a signpost to the fact that God is the king of the universe. Your humanity as an image bearer a reminder of who God is. It reminds us how great God is. So check this out. In this sense, my existence, your existence, it's not even about us. You feel that? It's not, the purpose of the image isn't to be all about the image. The purpose of the image is to point to what the image is pointing to, right? You feel that? So in this sense, my existence isn't even about me. It's not even about me. It's one of the most freeing things in all the world. If we have ears to hear what the Bible has to say, your life isn't even about you. Like, here's something that sounds like an insult. It's actually the most freeing thing in the world. You're not the point. You're not the point. I'm not the point. Your existence isn't even about you. It's about reminding people in your very body that you have, this physical body that you have, that God is great. That God is great. Your physical body isn't even about you. It's not for you. It's for drawing attention to the glory of God and how he is. So, so you can be utterly freed this morning. Hear this. From a prison of navel-gazing. Right? Or social media gazing, like look at my face on my inst Instagram feed, right? Like you can be freed from the prison of selfie and how many likes do I get? Like that's deep down, that's a prison, right? I just need some attention. I just need, it's just so, it's so I find it so ironic, like, you go see people at the Grand Canyon. It's this amazing, beautiful, landscape, and it's like, what's going to make this beauty that much better? My face in it, right there, 
You know what I mean? It's like, what? There's something wrong with that, right? Grand Canyon plus my face, that's it right there, right? That's what we need. No. All that stuff is a prison of narcissism, ultimately. It's a prison of narcissism. Now, there's ways to use social media responsibly. I get it. And if you do a selfie, I'm not going to be judging you, okay? Like, I do selfies too. But let's just think about this. Like, I'm not even the point. God is the point. That's what he says here. We exist as signposts to remind one another who God is, that he is great, and that he rules and reigns. That's why we exist. You exist by God for God, and that's freedom. Being obsessed with yourself is a prison. That's why so many of us are so anxious today. It's because when you make yourself the point, you're going against the grain of why God created why God created you. And that never ends well. It just doesn't. You can only do that so long without it going in directions that you weren't created for that make you really anxious or really worrisome or, or really angry or really just feeling lonely and, and, and empty. Now, let's take this a step deeper. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created. Now, this is mankind. That, that, that verb or that word can be translated. God created mankind, like we use that word. That's what the Hebrew word really means, in his own image. In the image of God, he created mankind. And then here's the distinction. Male and female, he created them. So what else do we learn here? What we learn is the image of God on the earth in human beings is a gendered image. Okay? The image of God is a gendered image. So based on what we've already established about what the image of God is and why it's important in the world today from God's point of view, we could say even more so as implication that your gender isn't even for you or by you. Your gender is for God and by God. Our gender isn't for us and by us, okay? Gender is not a social construct. It's a God construct, okay? We didn't think it up. It's not arbitrary. God thought it up, according to Genesis 1, for a purpose. It's for him and by him. The fact that God created human beings, male and female, two equal parts that fit together, this is for God and by God because image bearers are for God and by God. Why do we know this? Because right here he's told us that gender is all about making us in his image. So we have to feel that this morning or we won't get far at all in this talk about gender in our world today and in the church and the family in terms of this series that's coming. See, gender can never be divorced from bearing God's image. I want you to see that in the text. The purpose of gender in our world today, it's not arbitrary and we didn't think it up. It's linked to and always will be that we are called as human beings to be image bearers. You can't divorce 
gender from bearing God's image. Or again, gender just becomes arbitrary and pointless. And, and you can just give it whatever meaning you want, right? But God doesn't want that this morning, as we've seen in Genesis 1. God has already told us the meaning of these gendered bodies that we find ourselves in. It's about him, and it's for him. And furthermore, going a step deeper, check this out. Male and female, it's not an accident. The body you find yourself in is not an accident. It's designed by God for a purpose. It's not an accident. It shows something of who God is. So think about it like this. We know in the Bible God has revealed himself to exist. One God, three persons. A trinity. This is basic Christian theology. Christianity 101. Who is God? He is essentially an eternal, loving relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Unity in diversity. This is very nature, three persons in one. And so then it makes sense that when God creates people in his image, that would also be reflected. His essential nature as living, existing in a relationship for all eternity. So God, I'm going to make some human beings that are kind of like me, that kind of look like me, that kind of function like me. Well, what's that? It's going to be unity and diversity. So when God creates human beings in his image, two distinct types of people, male and female, each for the other, complementing one another. Not arbitrary. There's a purpose, right? Now, if we're just a cosmic accident, yep, arbitrary, pointless, just do whatever feels right. And, you know, that makes sense. But that's not what the Bible says. So what we see in the coming Verses that we'll probably get to next week is the first marriage. And male and female exist as unity in diversity. What is that? It just reflects God as he exists in unity and diversity. So the Bible says that a man and a woman become one flesh in marriage. That looks like a lot like God. So when you get married... You should see from Genesis 1, again, it's not even about you. It's about God. Your unity and diversity in marriage, two distinct people, yet God says are one. You're distinct, but you're one. Yep, all at the same time. Just don't try to figure it out. The Bible just asserts it. You are one, so that reflects God as he exists. And just the fact that we exist as human beings, male, female, equal in value— But diverse, two diverse genders displays God's greatness when we work together in unity and diversity, like in the church. So just one gender wouldn't give God as much glory, wouldn't point to him as well in his essence, in his being, as two genders that come together and work together. So that's the first thing I want you to see and feel. We find gender on the opening pages of our Bible in the creation account. If it's on page number one, I mean, the whole Bible is important. The whole Bible is inspired and and trustworthy. See 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. But when you see on the opening page of your Bible, there's something foundational here, right? that we have to pay attention to. You and your body are not an autonomous self. 
that is just only concerned with yourself. You and your physical body and your gender are created by God and for God. So, so say hello to a grand purpose. You, you are not pointless. You have a purpose in this life. You have value because God says you have value. You are not pointless. You are not arbitrary. You are loved by God simply because he's put his stamp of his very essence in your being. So this is a radical statement. But it's kind of basic Christianity 101. This is as, as, as basic as it gets in terms of how the Bible lovingly tells us about reality this morning. Your gender is not first and foremost about you. It's about God displaying his image. Man, God is glorious. God is creative. God is amazing. God is beautiful. His unity and diversity is so beautiful. Loving relationships, working together, and the outpouring of that love brings the good news into the world. So just by way of this one kind of real simple application this morning that I think is really important for us as we seek to display to an onlooking world, what does God look like? One really important application is this. As Christians who believe God's word and what he said about gender this morning, we can never degrade one another based on gender. Degrading one another based on your gender is really a slap in the face secondarily to that person, primarily to God. Right? So chauvinists or, or radical feminists alike are not just degrading the opposite sex. They're degrading God. Male and female are created by the God of the universe for him and his glory. So you don't want to trample on gender. Why? Because God has said that gender is really good. And our culture has a lot of problems with this, Right? We do this all the time. Like, she's a woman. Ah, oh, she's just so emotional. He's a guy. He's just, he's kind of a pig. All right, what's up with this woman that I married? Why, why is she so weird? You know? Conflict in marriage all the time based on, I don't get you. You're so weird. No. You're designed by God in the way you are for a purpose. He's a man. He's so brutish and uncivilized. Man to woman, woman to man. I mean, our cultural moment of the Me Too movement is just like front and center of this. Our very own president has, doesn't have a great track record of this. Right? Like, may it never be in the church. May never be in the church that we degrade one another based on gender. Because why? Because God says it's all about Him and we value Him. We value Him. So if we take to heart what God says here, 
The genders by him and for him, I exist by him and for him to display his glory in my very essence. Then comments about the opposite gender and whatever stereotypes I'm believing about that just are going to be far from my mind. Right? That doesn't show the unity that God intends to show when he creates people in his image that are united yet diverse, just like he is. You feel that? You feel that? Genders by God and for God. It's just like, you know, anybody who's a parent, you understand. Like, if you want to get a parent riled up really quick, insult their kids. Right? Insult their kids. That'll get any parent riled up in a hurry. And God's the same way. He is Father. So we don't, like, and and even more so, here's a better analogy. Like, my kids insulting one another. It's like, no, we're not doing that. Why? Because we're family. We're created for unity. And so if you have man and woman degrading one another based on gender, it's just such a slap in the face to God in the same way. Like God thought it up. We are his kids. And how will we display his glory if we don't embrace what he has said? So we don't, de- we don't degrade it. We don't insult it. We don't look down on it. We don't marginalize one another. Genders, two genders created by God, for God, for a purpose, to display the greatness of his rule and reign over all creation, that he is great, that he is glorious, his rule and reign can be trusted. That's the purpose of your gender. That's why it's given to you. And that's why it's really, really good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for what it does for us how you have given us purpose, Lord. And I pray that we would be able to display in our relationships in the church, male to female, our relationships in marriage, male to female, that you are great and you are awesome. Lord, help us. Help us value one another because you value what you've created. Help us to to embrace as good what you have said is really, really good. And may that make you look really, really good. Because that's why you say you've created us, Lord. I pray you would free us from the prison of narcissism that all of us are just bent towards, God. And so would you help us remember that we exist by you and for you. And Lord, when we fail, we thank you so much for your gospel that promises to forgive us when we come to you because you died for our sins and you were risen so that we can know you and that you have conquered death, the penalty of sin. So Lord, may we rejoice in that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.